We are on Ksubis Ayin Hey Amr Aleph 75a. As our Gemara is really continuing from the question that we had from Ayin Dalar Mabez from 74b. And the question was that there was a stira, there was a contradiction between Brysas. Uh, we were discussing what happens if a person has a Kedushin, has a halachic engagement on condition that she did not take upon herself any Shavuas, any oaths. What happens if she had a shvua, but she went to the chacham, she went to the beisdin, to the court, and they were matir her neder, they annulled her her oath, her vow, and so it's as if retroactively there was no shvua, there was nothing there. So does that work or does that not work? So that was an argument, that was a, a contradiction between braces. The first brace that we had said that they are engaged because in the end of the day there are no oaths. Uh, the 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 chacham, the beisdin, the court allowed for this. And according to the second b'risa that the Gemara quoted, it said that she is not mekudashis, she's not halachically engaged. So the Gemara will have a few answers to this question. The first answer that we gave, which in the middle of, was that uh, the two b'risas are really argue, an argument between Rameyer and Rebbe Lazar. The Rameyer is of the opinion that when they get engaged, the husband is fine with going to uh, with his wife going to court. It's not embarrassing He's okay with it, or even if it is embarrassing, but overall he prefers that she goes to court. Rabbi Lazar says, no, a person wouldn't want it, and so therefore a person never has a mind that uh, the Kedushin should apply in a situation where she took a Shavuah, she took an oath, but then later on she uh, wants to go to the court and, and uh, be moderate uh, to, to annul that, uh, that, that oath. So the Gemara continues here on Ayin Heim and Aleph and just spells it out. We said that this is an argument between Rameyer and Rabbi Lazar elsewhere. So we just have a few lines on this particular answer. The Gemara says, "Rameir Omer Kol Nedar Shesarach Hakigar Es Chakam Lo Yachzir." Rav Lazar Omer Lo Asru Sarach Elab Neishi In Atzarach. This was an argument about uh, what happens in a situation where a couple has a divorce uh, because she took upon herself various Nedarim, various oaths, and so what happens if it's an oath where uh, you she could go to the Chacham, she could uh, have it annulled. So uh, in general, if they get divorced, when uh, because she took upon herself many oaths. So uh, we discussed this in the last uh, class that lo yachsir, um, they cannot uh, uh, they cannot get remarried. So Rameir says that um, if you need a chacham, if you need a chacham to annul to annul it, so then lo yachsir, they can't return. Rameir Lazar says no, uh, but the uh, Lazar says no. Meaning, it's true that they cannot get uh, remarried, but that's really because of a case of of she'enotarch, where you don't need the chacham, where the husband himself—it's a situation where the husband himself could annul that type type of an oath. So, but my kamefilis, the Gemara says, what are they arguing about? What does Rameir and Belazar argue about? So, it's exactly what we just discussed. Rameir says, "Adam shrotzishis ba'zishto bebeizdin." Belazar says, "In Adam shrotzishis ba'zishto bebeizdin." Essentially, Rameir says that a person is okay, is fine with uh, his wife going to court to annul her vow. And Rebbe Lazar says it's, uh, a husband wouldn't want that. And so therefore, that would have implications to our question, our stira, our contradiction between the two brysos. The first brysos says that uh, they are in fact engaged when uh, it's on condition that there are no oaths and she goes to the Chacham because the Chacham, the, 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 the Torah scholar, annuls the, annuls the oath uh, as opposed to the second brysa. And that's all within Rebbe Meir who says that a person's fine with it. And the second price is according to Rabbi Lazar that says that it's not an engagement because the husband never had that in mind. Now it is important to note that when it comes to the embarrassment, what exactly is the embarrassment? There's a discussion whether or not a person could appoint a messenger 
to annul an oath. Um, and so if he could appoint the messenger, so then what, what exactly is the problem here? What's the embarrassment? So the embarrassment would have to be either you can't uh, appoint a messenger or the embarrassment would have to be not the fact that they are physically in court, but the fact that the court knows that she's somebody who takes upon herself various oaths um, and uh, th- that itself would be viewed as embarrassing. Okay, that is all part of answer number one. Answer number two, Rav Amar Hacha Be'isha Chashuva Askinon Basically, it's a case here where the wife comes from a distinguished family. She comes from a distinguished family, and the husband doesn't want to be in a situation where she's taking upon herself these oaths. And then she goes to the chacham. Let's say she wants; he's fine with her going to the chacham. She goes to the to the court, to the Torah scholar, to annul the oath. But still, the husband doesn't uh, want this type of situation, this type of marriage where she's constantly taking oaths, even if she gets them annulled, and. Uh, but he also doesn't want that uh, he won't have the ability to marry any of the relatives. It's a very distinguished family. He wants to leave it open that he has the ability to uh, marry other relatives. The only way that he can marry other relatives if, is if retroactively they say that this engagement is not a halachic engagement. If this were to be a halachic engagement, they do have this halachic relationship, so then they would have to get divorced and he would not be allowed to marry any of the immediate relatives. And he doesn't want that. And so therefore, he has a mind. Uh, the case where we say that they are not engaged is specifically a case where it's from a distinguished family and he wants to have the ability, the possibility of marrying one of the relatives and so therefore it has to be annulled retroactively. Okay, that is what Rava says. Um, um, so the question on this is that the end of this brisa, the, the brisa first starts off with the case where uh, it's on the condition that she doesn't have any oaths, and we say that it's not a good kiddushin, it's not a good engagement because he. It's, it, we're, we're specifically dealing with a case where she's part of a distinguished family, an important family, and he wants to leave open the opportunity to marry one of the relatives, and therefore he wants it to be that if she took any oaths, it's true she she went to the chacham to to the court to have it annulled, but. But he wants to view it as retroactively as though he doesn't want to stay married to somebody who's taking on these oaths. And he wants to have it that retroactively, it's like there was no engagement so that he can marry one of the relatives. Well, the end of that price is discussing the opposite case. It's discussing a case where um, it's on condition that he doesn't have any oaths. And then he goes to the Chacham, he goes to the, uh, to the Torah scholar, to Anallah. In that case, we say that they are married. They are halachically married. So we say, I don't understand. Why don't we say that they're not married? And the case that we're talking about He's talking about a case where he is from a distinguished family and she doesn't want to have this marriage and then get divorced because she doesn't want to uh, prevent the possibility of marrying one of the relatives. So we should say that also, in that case, it's also annulled retroactively. Why do we say that in the case where it's on condition that he doesn't have these oaths, uh, that we say that they are halakhically engaged, we should say that they're not halakhically engaged because it's the same case, just in reverse, where the husband comes from a distinguished family and she wants to leave open the possibility of marrying one of the husband's relatives. So to this, the Gemara answers uh, a line that we've seen elsewhere. Essentially, and we'll see a few, uh, a, a few uh, similar lines about this, that she, in the end of the day, uh, a wife, uh, she wants to stay married to her husband, more so than the husband... She wants to make sure that she's together with somebody else more so than a husband needs 
the wife. And so therefore, she's willing to forgo. It's true. If they stay married and then they get divorced, she won't have the ability, the possibility of marrying one of the relatives, but she prefers to stay married. And so therefore, there's a difference between the ratio and the safe between the first case and the second case, because in the first case, uh, it was about the uh, the wife and uh, the husband wants the ability, the ability to marry some of the relatives of the wife. So to that, he'll say, let's, uh, let's annul this marriage retroactively. But the wife wants to stay married to the husband. She prefers that at least she's, at least she's married. The Gemara now has a few lines uh, describing the same idea that a wife is willing to stay married to somebody that uh, is, let's say, less than ideal, but because it's at the end of the day, it's better for her to be married than to remain single. Abay Amar, Deshim Shemana Gavra Kruse Becharasa Ramila. Abay says that if the husband is a husband who's as small as an ant, nevertheless, the wife places her seat amongst the noble women because she considers herself um, important by the fact that she's married to this uh, small husband. Repapa Amar, the Nafasa Gavra Tikri Besipi Baba Vesesar. Repapa says, if the husband is a woolcomber, which is viewed as a less than ideal job, it's viewed as an embarrassing job. Tricky Basifi Baba Tesev. Still, she uh, calls him to sit with her by the entrance of their home. She's proud to be married to him. In the end of the day, she prefers to be married even if there's some level of embarrassment. Ravashi Amar, similarly, Ravashi says, to call Sagavra Labai to Lafche Likidra. Ravashi says, uh, even one whose husband is lowly does not require. Lentils for a pot, meaning she's still happy by the fact that she's married and doesn't mind the fact that uh, the husband cannot provide for her. It's still fine. Tana, there's now an interesting brysa, which sort of flips everything on its head. Up until this point, we understand that the reason why she wants to stay married is because she, uh, she, she prioritizes a relationship, even if it's with somebody who has a lower job. Uh, but still, she prioritizes the relationship. The Gemara now says no. The following brysa says, The reason for this um, all these women who have lowly husbands, they appear to be happy with their marriage, but on the side, they're committing adultery, and they're able to do this because now that they're married, they can attribute any children to their actual husbands. Uh, and so therefore, they, they want to stay married, not necessarily because they prefer to be married over single, therefore they will give in or uh, not be embarrassed by the fact that their husband has uh, a lowly job. No, the reason is is because now she can commit adultery, won't be concerned about having children because she'll always say that it comes from the husband. Okay, that's a twist on things. Not exactly the same idea that we had before that. Okay, moving on in the Gemara. I hope to in this uh, class to get to the mission on the bottom of Ayin Ha'em and Aleph. So it might take a little longer. But Kol Mumin Shaposan, the, the Mishnah said in terms of discussing on the condition that she doesn't have any Mumin, she doesn't have any physical blemishes, the uh, the Gemara, the Mishnah said that the same blemishes which disqualify a Kohen from serving in the base of English in the temple, those are the same blemishes that would disqualify her from being married, like retroactively they are not married. So on this, the Brisa says, Tana Hosifa Len, we have the following added blemishes which only apply to women and not to Kohanim. What are those? Zeya, Vishuma, Varecha sweat, which causes her to smell. She sweats a lot, or she has a mole. Or definitely, or, or, or bad odor from her mouth. So the Gemara says, I don't understand. But we know that when it comes to Kohanim also, this is also a blemish. That, but it says in the Mishnah, Hamazuham, it says, uh, um, those who are filthy, that it disqualifies a Kohen 
whether they're permanent or whether they're temporary, it causes uh, them to be filthy. So the Gemara says, so it sounds like smelling and being filthy is a disqualification when it comes to the Kohen, not limited just to uh, the wife when she's getting married. So the Gemara answers, Essentially, the case where even for a Kohen it disqualifies the Kohen, it's only a case where the Kohen sweats so much that it's impossible even by taking a shower or uh, by putting some water on it to, to remove it. So in that case, it's a problem. But the type of blemish where uh, it causes a lot of sweat and smell, but it's easily removable, so then that would not be a problem when it comes to um, a Kohen, but it is a problem when it comes to the wife. And then, uh, similarly, Rav Ashi Amar, Mzumam Karamis, Rav Ashi says that we're, we're, we're discussing two different things. There's a difference between sweat and filth. Difference be, there's a difference between sweat and filth. Filth sounds like it's uh, more permanent, uh, which disqualifies also uh, Kohanim, um, as opposed to uh, as opposed to, uh, to to the to the sweat. So that sweating would be a problem for the wife, but it wouldn't be a problem for the Kohen. Efsher la de chamra, and why is that so? Because when it comes to sweating, there's a there's a way out. Um, if it's because of sweat, not just a, a total body foul odor, but it's specifically due to sweat, so you can remove it by uh, vinegar. There's a way to temporarily, temporarily remove it. Also, if it comes to a foul odor, not just from sweat, but from the mouth, if they have a bad smell, uh, bad odor from their mouth, they could put a pepper in their mouth uh, and, and uh, serve in the, in the base of Mikdash. The point is that for the Kohen, it's really temporary. They just need to make sure that they smell okay for the time that they're in the base of Mikdash. That's a limited amount of time. It's not so long. So they just have to make sure that they don't smell during that time. But to be married to, for a person to be married to a wife, so then she has to be able to remove it her entire life, which is impossible. Uh, and so therefore that would be viewed as a blemish. So for the wife, it's something which is long-lasting, that would be viewed as a blemish. Uh, but when it comes to the Kohen, um, it's something which is temporary. There's a way to solve the problem. It's having pepper, um, different ways of solving the problem, that's not called a blemish, even though the blemish will come back, but since you could always come up with a case, this is how the Chazanish, one of the, class, one of the com- commentators of the previous generation, explains that uh, since uh, every time they go to the temple, they go to the base of Mikdash, there's a way for them to remove this blemish, this odor, therefore they can in fact uh, serve in the base of Mikdash. Okay, the Brysa also said a mole is a blemish for a woman, but not for a priest, but not for a Kohen. What exactly is the case of this mole? If it has hair growing in it, that's a problem also for Kohen. If it doesn't have hair, if it's a big mole, a large mole, so then that also disqualifies a Kohen. But if it's a small mole, it wouldn't even be a problem for a wife. How do we know? Because it uh, because we have a brisa uh, which uh, discusses this and distinguishes if there's no hair, distinguishes between whether it's a big mole or a small mole. A small mole is not a problem. What exactly is the size of a big mole? It's the size of a small coin. That, that would be large enough. Um, so the Gemara wants to know what exactly is the case of this mole? What's the case that would disqualify her? So I'm Rabbi the answer is, it's a small mole. Yeah, in general, a small mole would not disqualify her. 
but it's on her forehead. It's easily visible. Like where it says, I understand. But Daf the Rabbin is Paisu. If it's easily visible, so then obviously he knows about it. He can't get married before seeing her, uh, and therefore um, he knows about it and he agreed to it. So Amar Papa Bomeres La Tachas Kipah Shel Rosha Vizinden Dimischazev Dimin Dlomischazev. No, because she could put a, a, a covering on her head. She could wear a cap. She could wear. She could cover on her head. Sometimes you could see it. Sometimes you can't see it. Could be that he didn't see it. It could be the husband didn't see it, and therefore that would be a blemish that would disqualify. Her and it will retroactively undo the marriage. It's interesting to note that uh, the Ritva here says, the classic commentator of the Ritva says that the same thing would apply with regards to regular sales. Let's say you have a regular sale and it's, uh, there's some sort of deficiency, there's some sort of problem with the object at hand that the person is trying to sell, but there's a way to fake it out and sometimes it's visible, sometimes it's not visible, sometimes you'll be able to tell that it's broken, sometimes you can't tell that it's broken. Ritva says that we see from here that it would really be a problem, that the, the seller cannot make the claim, oh, you saw the object beforehand. You agreed to it. No, we would have to uh, retroactively, we would undo that, that sale. Amar of Chista, continuing on in this discussion, I've heard the following idea from the following great person, from another case of a mum, of a blemish for, for the Isha, for the wife, is if a dog bit her and it developed into a scar. Developed into a scar. Amr of Chisla, another case, Kol Ava Bishish, Harizamum, Shenamar Kikolich, Arev, Umarech Nava. That women have a sweet voice, and therefore, if she has a deeper voice, that would also be viewed as a blemish. Apparently, you don't have to hear, you have to see her before you get married. You don't necessarily have to hear her before, to, to hear her voice before, she, before they get married. Other cases, Tani Rub Nasan Bira, Nasan Bira said, Bain Dadesh Isha Tefach. Uh, uh, he says a, 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 a uh, general statement. We're going to analyze what exactly this means, but uh, between her dadeha, between her breasts, there should be a hand breath. So is that viewed as a problem or is that viewed as normal? Um, uh, so Rav Acha said that if there's a hand breath in between, so then that's considered the right thing. That's considered good. Uh, Rav Ashi said, no, it's not talking about the fact that it's good. That's actually the problem. If it's a tefach, if it's a hand fist in between, that's a problem. That's a blemish. And how much is normal? Three fingers is what's viewed as normal. Continuing on in the discussion of blemishes. Tanya. Rav Nassan says, Any woman where her dadeha, her breasts, are larger than those of others, that's a blemish. There's a discussion whether it means on her own body or in comparison to others, the kama, how much uh, larger? Tefach. Has to be a tefach uh, if they're tefach larger. Now there is such a case. Is there such a case? In Yeah, he says that he once saw an Arab woman who um, who had large dadeha that she was able to nurse her son with her son behind her. Okay, continuing on, a few more lines till the, uh, till the Mishnah. Um, once we, did, once we uh, mentioned Rabbi Miyasha Barbrej Rabbi Yeshua, so now we are going to continue some other statements that he has, not related to our topic, but interesting nevertheless. The, the Pasuk says, the verse says in Tehillim, that of Zion, of Zion, it should be said, this man and this man were born to her, 
and uh, and the Most High shall establish her. What is that referring to? That uh, a person is called uh, part of Israel if they're born there, but also not just if they're born there, but if they're looking forward to moving there. They're also considered B'nai Tzion, the children of Tzion, which is the Marsha. In the back of the Gemara, there's a commentator of the Marsha says, in general, a person's always referred to as the place where they were born and they uh, grew up. If you lived, grew up in America, you're called an American. You grew up in Canada, you're called a Canadian. Um, so, but here, it's uh, if you're born in Israel, you're called uh, from Israel. But also, not just if you're born in Israel, let's say you're born outside of Israel, but you desire to uh, return to Israel, this is unique, and you are called somebody who is from Israel. Amar Abayi, Abayi says that uh, somebody living in Israel is superior, is better than two people from Bavel. Interesting. Perhaps the idea is that uh, some of the commentators point out that uh, the the air in Israel is good for uh, that it's good for wisdom. Therefore, if they live in Eretz Israel, they have wisdom there, they're more pure. It's better than two people in Bavel. Rava says, and if one of us go there, so then we become like two of the two people from Israel. If one person from Bavel, from Babylon, goes to Israel, it's like they're viewed as two Israelis. How is that? Uh, we'll explain it in one second, but let's just finish the last line. Because... Um, Rabbi Yirmiya, when he was in Bavel, when he was in Babylon, he didn't know what uh, they were talking about when they were discussing, when they were discussing different laws. He was, he was not considered a Torah scholar. But once he got to Israel, he referred to the, Jew, to the Torah scholars in Israel as foolish Babylonians. So he became even greater than the Torah scholars in Israel. Why would that be? Why would that be? So there's different answers that are given. It could be now that he's in Israel. So number one, he has the air of Israel that makes him smarter. But in addition to that, he also has what he learned in Bavel, what he learned in Babylon, which was, was viewed as more harif, more uh, sharper. So he had the best of both worlds. Alternatively, others explain that when he comes to Israel, it's a form of doing tshuva, of, of repentance, that he was outside of Israel, now he comes into Israel. And we know that there's a concept that uh, the place where those who have repented, uh, Bali tshuva, where they stand, is in a much greater place than people who have always lived in Israel who are uh, who are not repenting. And so maybe that's what it means that he's greater because since he went through this whole process and he traveled to Israel, so therefore he becomes greater than people who actually were living in Israel. Okay, we're on the bottom of Ein Ham and Aleph 25a, beginning next time with a new Mishnah.